Could not be more pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen podcast, Matt Damon. Are you one of those Patriot fans that takes Lee in the Jets and the butt fumbling? Scene? I made the Liberace movie this year, so that's fine. <laughs> There's some butt fumbling in that movie, too. Just a wee little bit. <laughs> Larry David, good to see you, sir. I think a lot of writers can be offensive coordinators. What's harder? If I could write stories, why would I be able to draw up a play? He is none other than Broadway, Joe Namath. If Mark were to get the nod, and if he played decently, if, uh, if, what a big word for only two letters, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Cannavale. I told you my Derek Jeter story. I had Yankees, Atlanta, for the World Series. Screaming, screaming, screaming. Nothing, nothing, nothing. He doesn't even look at me. Finally, last at bat, eighth <laughs> inning, yeah. Jeter comes up. Derek! Just turn around, man! Just turn around! <laughs> Finally, he like dumb. He does the thing with the weight. He's about to go up. He turns around. He looks at me. He goes, "Bro, I hear you." <laughs> Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Hey, everybody! It's the Rich Eisen podcast, week number six, week six of the National Football League. We're moving matriculating into the middle of October of the 2013 regular season. We open up week number six on Thursday Night Football, as we always do. This time we're in Chicago. The windy city of the suddenly sinking Chicago Bears are on a losing streak after starting the season with three in a row uh, in the wind department. They've now lost two in a row after Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints came through town and uh, and beat them up, beat them up in uh, virtually every phase of the game, and the Bears need a win. And they're taking on a team that hasn't won all year. If you told me the New York Giants would be entering week number six in this Thursday night football game that we circled on the calendar. I mean, this is a game that when the when the schedule came out in April and we looked at our Thursday night schedule, uh, this was the first one I circled. The New York Giants against the Bears. The New York market and the Chicago market. Markets one and three in the United States. Big time game. Circled it. Never would have dreamt in a million years that the Giants would be 0-5 entering this game. And yet they are. The Bears and the Giants opening up week number six. And I mentioned the Saints. They're one of three now. Three undefeated teams remaining in the National Football League. Uh, the Saints at 5-0 and for the first time since the, the uh, year that they went to the Super Bowl starting 13-0. and um, They are 5-0. and The Kansas City Chiefs are 5-0. and Andy Reid has the Chiefs at 5-0 and after they survived a road game in Tennessee. The game Titans with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback almost pulled it off. But uh, Fitz threw two picks in the fourth quarter, and the Chiefs laid the hammer down. They're 5-0, and, and Denver's 5-0. and Chris Law, how are you today, sir? You doing well? Rich, I'm doing good. Pleasure to see you as always. I, I know you've got a little pep in your step because your head coach is on this show, yes, correct? Yes, he is, Bill O'Brien. It was a it was a tough uh, tough week last week in Indiana, but yeah, um, you're going to have to handle that part of the conversation. Yeah, Chris. I'll tread lightly on that one. Yes, for sure. tread but, lightly. Um, I mean, uh, the first Penn State loss ever. To Indiana, yeah. To Indiana. It, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I watched, obviously, the entire game. Indiana played some solid football. They they did well. We, our freshman quarterback on the road probably had his toughest outing of the season. And uh, it'll be interesting this weekend because I'm heading back to Happy Valley to take on your ah, Michigan Bulls. Ah, yes, which is why you booked him. Yes. You booked Bill O'Brien, right? It's also interesting to get Bill O'Brien in a week um, after uh, the, his two charges that were on the team when he was the offensive coordinator in New England lost. Tom Brady loses for the first time all year. Brian Hoyer, who is Tom Brady's backup, he lost in the worst possible way, even though his team won in Cleveland, blew out his knee, one of the more uh, gut-wrenching 
nauseating stories of week number five. And then Brian Hoyer on Thursday Night Football with everybody watching. The Browns fans are, are through the roof in terms of their optimism. One of their own, uh, St. Ignatius High's own Brian Hoyer blows out his knee. And, uh, but the, the, you know, Bengal, the, uh, the Browns are three and two. We'll talk about those two guys. Matt McGloin is the backup now. Yes, with the as Raiders. Matt Flynn is released. They're looking at Pat White and, and David Carr as the number three guy out there. But it's, uh, it's Terrell Pryor's show, as uh, most, po- most folks on the East Coast missed it because the, the darn thing nearly ended at 3 in the morning Eastern time on Sunday night. But uh, Terrell Pryor is definitely um, a factor in Oakland. They're a different team with him at quarterback as they beat the, the Chargers, one of the more surprising games of week number five how are you chris brockman you're doing well yeah, i'm okay rich i'm okay what's what's that all about i'm drying off from cincinnati not not a good showing from the uh from the new england well you know Patriots. what it was bound to happen the, the the bengals are definitely the best defensive team you've seen six points what well, was bound to happen that you got i mean amandola is still trying to get in the swing of things he finally came back at least congratulations to you that he finished the game <laughs> yeah i guess that's a win right right that that, that is a win that's a win and, you know, the Patriots are 4-1, and one, which is, you know, a record I think you would have signed up for at the beginning of the season through five weeks, correct? No question. All right, so there's a silver lining there. And you've got the Saints coming in this week, which is well, a, a fantastic game. Uh, late afternoon on Fox, that is going to be the Buck Aikman extravaganza. The Saints or, or look the, fantastic. Geez, well, you know what? They, they, look, they look angry. And, and they remind me, you know, of, of the 07 Patriots. Right. Who were, uh, that the storyline that year is they were exacting revenge on anybody with a pulse and anybody <laughs> would come through their way because of, uh, of the... Spygate. You know, Spygate. Right. And now here comes a team off of Bountygate, and it looks like that they are laying waste to whatever is in their path, and they're getting better. And the defense is, is, is far improved. I mean, they really had nowhere to go but up in terms of, you know, defense. They were the worst ever last year and that's not hyperbole that is statistically the truth the worst ever in terms of uh a defense in in last year so that said though you you're you're gonna get Gronk back this week and apparently this is apparently what everybody was looking for in the Gronkowski family I think it's going to happen you're probably going to get him back and you're going to have the full complement of of weapons that the team was going to give to Brady from the beginning uh, at his disposal, Amendola, Gronkowski, and the rest of the team. And that is definitely a Week 6 marquee matchup and something we'll talk uh, about with Michael Silver, who's on this show nice. later on. Nice. Um, but the, the game of the week involves the 5-0 and team that everybody's talking about, and that's the Denver Broncos. How about ha- that game? Have you ever seen anything like it? How about that game? Well, you know, uh, the entire it, it resonated with the country. CBS's rating, the overnight rating, was a nineteen point eight. Wow! For, for a late Sunday, early Sunday evening, that is a through the roof rating. It is the most watched television event or program since the Academy Awards. Holy smokes! I'd be really interested to see. The numbers probably exponentially went up as the, the game, game went, went on. on. Yeah. As words start, as people probably started telling, "Hey, are you watching this game?" Dallas just scored again. Oh, Denver just answered. You got to put this on. Well, I mean, Denver. It, it, it couldn't have started better for Dallas. Could not have started better for Dallas because the two things you need to do to beat Peyton Manning is one play offensively in such a way that it keeps Manning on the sideline. Right? right, you give him fewer and fewer possessions per game. You get him more and more antsy because he has fewer and fewer possessions a game, 
And they opened up that game with a seven-minute drive that resulted in touchdowns. you got to play offense in a way that keeps Manning on the sideline and not settle for field goals, turn it, make them touchdowns. And then the other way you do it is you, uh, you, you play uh, defense and you turn Manning, either Manning himself over or his team over. And the way that Manning and the Denver Broncos responded to that long first-quarter drive of the, of the Cowboys – was to turn Eric Decker over. And what you have to do when you get those turnovers is don't settle for, for field goals, turn them into touchdowns. And that's what Dallas did in the first quarter. Couldn't have gone any better. Couldn't have gone any better. But Denver could not be stopped. You can't stop them. It's incredible. It's incredible. Julius Thomas, two touchdowns again. I mean, that, t- that touchdown drive that was three plays, 50 seconds, 80 yards. Yeah. Was, was mind-blowing. I believe my tweet was 80 yards in 50 seconds. Sounds like a bad Vin Diesel movie <laughs> or a good one. <laughs> I think I saw someone's comment there like, or Nick Cage movie. I or Nick Cage, right? I, I almost wrote back, there are bad Vin Diesel movies. That's right. <laughs> or there are good ones, right? <laughs> I mean, so there, there's no way to stop them. And, and, and to your point, Chris Law, all off season long, how is Welker going to be fit into this? How is he going to be placed in this offense with Decker and Demarius Thomas? And the one that Manning kept going to and hammering the Cowboys with was Julius Thomas. Yep. Somebody the, we'd never heard of I mean, five De- weeks Demarius, ago. Demarius, I don't think he had a catch in the first half, did he? No. And, and Welker barely had one, and I know that because my fantasy team desperately needed it from him. <laughs> and uh, because of his somewhat lack of production, he, const- he does get in the end zone. But they're they're you know three yard passes into the end zone usually, right. and um, that 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 caused my demise in the fishmonger league. I'm now two and three, but I'm four and one in the Garland league. So you're be- you're better than me. I'm fixing to be one and four after tonight. Oh, after I Monday. suffered a Lord. I suffered a one point loss in my one league, and then I had a, I led the other league in points this week. So. How many points is that? Uh, 157, which yeah. is if you usually if you hit the 100 point mark, you typically win. The guy I, in the the guy in the fishmonger league that has Peyton Manning got 20 some odd points from Jamal Charles, oh. and he got 20 points from Alex Henry, the oh, kicker. The kicker, and he got 23 defensive points from the Browns. Oh wow! And so if you're going to get 20 points from your kicker and 23 from your defense, and you have Peyton Manning, you are un beatable on the fantasy gridiron one of our uh, podcast listeners at liam robertson tweeted me he's in a two quarterback league and he was playing a guy that had peyton and romo as his two quarterbacks. 58.8 points for manning and 68 for romo wow and that's the whole thing with romo man is the guy had 500 yards passing and he had five touchdowns he played one of the greatest games by a quarterback in nfl history but then comes the hallmark and i got caught up in it I tweeted out after he found Des Bryant for the 80-yarder and then he found uh, his BFF to to uh, to tie the game or to go ahead 48-41, right? I think it was Witten who scored that one. Yep. I, and that's how I lost in the Fishmonger League. I was going up against Des and Witten. So, um, and I, but I had Arian Foster and Frank Gore in my back pocket and then the two of them just, you know. Kendall Hunter and Arian going for 98, not 100. Well, no here's bonus. exactly. I was thinking because if I had gotten that bonus, I would have gone up. I would have gone Ugh. up just against the Atlanta defense on Monday night. But long story short, um, Romo, I tweeted out five touchdowns, 500 yards passing in this game, right? I, th- that's the context. You can't add the, the extra context on Twitter. You only have 140 characters. But in this game, right, Peyton Manning's coming to town. 
the way you've got to beat them, if you can't keep them on the sidelines for all four quarters, and if you can't keep turning them over, and they did get Maurice Claiborne was the one who, who recovered the fumble from Eric Decker and is the one who picked off Peyton Manning still to date, the only one to do that this season. Great game from him in that regard. But in this game, when it seems like the only way you can beat him is to outscore him, he comes up with five touchdowns and 500 yards passing. How huge is that on that stage with the whole country watching? So I tweeted that out. I never want to hear anymore that he's the problem in Dallas. <laughs> and sure enough, I was with Mariucci sitting in the green room at, getting ready for, for game day highlights. Sitting with Mariucci, and I'm like, I'm going to send something that, that, that's going to get that's going to probably get a few reactions. And I hit send after I told him what it was. Yeah, I'll send it. But, you know, that's huge. <laughs> and sure enough, sure enough, Manning ties the game, which I knew was going to happen. Of course. And Romo does what Romo has done time and again, throwing the ball yep. in a late-game situation deep in his own end that he just can't do. And, and of course, that's the – I mean, of course, in front of the whole country, instead of Romo besting Manning – and getting the Cowboys above 500 in front of the whole country and lay notice to everybody that it's a different narrative now. It's the same old, same old, crystallized for the entire football world to see. Unbelievable stuff. 58 minutes of perfection and then the two minutes that'll get you every time. You want to hear from Romo postgame? This it sounds like the Dan Patrick show. You know how they, they play the uh, Know Your Romo, yeah. right? <laughs> Oh. Which is genius. They played it with Gary McCord on Monday morning. And you have to guess what week it is, right? You have to guess when it's from because yeah. he says the same thing over and over again. And right. the, because the situations like it always happen to him. You can't you can't figure out when it happens or what it's in reference to. It's like Andy Reid sitting down at the podium and going, "I got to be better." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how every press conference Time, time's starts. yours. All right, go for it. Here's uh, Romo here, after here's Romo after the fifty one forty eight loss. Yeah. You know, this will rekindle the old arguments about what you do great and then also what you do poorly. Do you block all that out, or how do you handle it? Yeah, I don't think this stuff matters. I think more than anything, you know, you got to play the game the way, you know, your team needs you to play to win games. Um, you know, you got to protect the football. That's that's line one. We understand that. We're doing a good job of that this year. Um, we got to create turnovers on defense. All that stuff plays a role. And, um, you know, if you, if you throw the ball, you know, a lot of times you're going to have interceptions here and there. You just try not to, to um, have them. And that's part of playing the position. But if you just hold the ball all the time, you're not going to be any good anyway. It's funny. You can get over the wind pretty quick and get ready for the next opponent. When you lose, it just eats at you. And it, uh, it grinds away at you throughout the what could we have done, what, what should I have done, what, you know, all those things that just are part of um, playing um, professional sports and sports in general. So, yeah, it'll take us a little bit of time. But we'll have to get ready to go. Next week will be a big game, and, and we understand that. So we'll be ready to go when we come back. Yeah, I mean, you hear from Romo next week's a big game. He's talking about week six. It's, it's not like everyone's going to be pulling up a chair and wondering what's going to happen in the game because, oh, wait a minute, it's Sunday night football against RG3. <laughs> <laughs> right back into the national spotlight. I mean, right, thrust right back into it with Washington coming off a bye at one and three. Yes, a half game out of first place. After losing the first three games of the season, RG3 in Washington, on a bye, coming back rested, just a half game behind second-place Dallas because the Eagles, with one more division win, they're 2-0 and in the East after beating the Giants on Sunday, has one more division win than Dallas. And thus, you know, if the season ended today, which it clearly doesn't, 
they're in first place. So Dallas falls out of first place, technically, in the NFC East. And, and I mean, you heard it from Tony, that you've got to play the way you're supposed to play. And, and, and Chris uh, Brockman, you heard it on game day morning from, from Warner. You heard it in our meeting on Saturday, and he said it on Sunday, that for Dallas to play and to, to win, he wants to see the old Romo. Which, you know, Marshall said, you mean the Tony Ono? And he goes, yes, that guy. He'd rather Romo try to win the game being who he is right. than try and not to lose it. And then Dallas looking as vanilla as it looked in Kansas City and in San Diego. And for 58 minutes, you saw that Tony Romo on Sunday. I mean, he was spectacular. He was, it was amazing. I, I tweeted out on the way in today. I can't get over how awesome he was. And, and I, I'm starting to really feel bad for the guy. I really am. Well, I mean, it's because of the narrative that's already been built up for him but and he has about no, him. But he has no one to blame for that but himself. But, but it, Well, I mean, there's also, there's also the issue of play calling. Once again, a mere 12 touches for DeMarco Murray. And, yeah, you know, but in that, type, this, in that type of game, I mean, you're toe-to-toe with Peyton Manning, who's averaging 45. You know you've got to score 48 to win. Now, but when you are, hold on a minute, it's 239 left in the game, okay? It's second and 16 at your 14, and you're Jason Garrett, and you're Bill Callahan, and you know the history here. You know the history here. What do you do here? Maybe you run DeMarco Murray? Maybe, right? It's second and 16. Run a draw play here. Run something. Now, this is total second guessing because you're not... You know, but but you need to just figure yep. it out. But he got- Go back, get back on schedule here. Maybe you get an 8, 9, 10-yard run, and it's third and 8, and the clock's ticking down a bit, and now it's the two-minute warning. I know Denver had timeouts left and might have used it there, but then Denver is using a timeout there. And then you have to figure out maybe third and whatever. You, get, you, you group yourself. Instead, Ramos sacked. It's you're on your own 14 yard line. Yeah, but you're this, asking for it. Yeah, but for me though, this goes back to was it 2010 Patriots Colts? Bill Belichick goes for it deep in his own territory because he knows if he gives Peyton Manning back the ball with two minutes to go, they're going to lose. Maybe so. Maybe so. I, I, I yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you've got to play to win. But if you run it, if you run it twice there and then punt, maybe maybe it's just the whole aspect of it. It's just that, that you can't keep putting it on this guy's shoulders. That said, that said, he did have it on his shoulders and he darn near pulled it off. I mean, how about the, that defense who didn't touch Peyton that Manning? Is, yeah. That is now here's. But let's reverse the script here because nobody's sitting here and saying how bad the Denver defense is. Right? Nobody's sitting here and saying, like, what was that all about? No, because and maybe, that, that was maybe the Cowboys game to win. Well, maybe it's because it's because Peyton Manning is who he is. Like, no, it's a different – it is a total it, double standard. It is. Because if you watch the game on uh, Sunday night, too, with Phillip Rivers throwing the late interception in the end zone, no one's talking about that Monday. Then, with a minute and a half left, they start another chance, another interception to Charles Woodson. And, I don't know, West Coast versus Dallas, the, the media attention that Dallas gets. Well, the whole country was watching this one, you know That's what I mean? True. And 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 after the game, Jerry Jones said, I know I know what I'm going to get for saying this. I mean, and that's not paraphrasing. He says this. I know what I'm going to get for saying this. Uh, it's a moral victory. He called it a moral victory. And, you know, in that respect. Do you buy that? You know what? He, it, it is. It is a moral victory because Romo went ahead and he said, he, when he signed Tony Romo, he said, I want Peyton Manning type time on the job from him. And you know what he was referring to? 
the offseason. And he's referring to being in the film room. And he's referring to what he wanted out of him as a leader off the field. Well, he gave him Peyton Manning-type time on the field on Sunday. Absolutely. And, yes, Maurice Claiborne had been toasted and hadn't been doing very much. The guy had a fumble recovery and a a turnover. That was good. Des Bryant is a beast. There were so many good positives to come out of it. And if you're taking a look at the entire season – this is and that division, the as as Jerry Jones said, the wins are going to come. So yes, I do buy what he said. The only issue is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys can't be saying that. That's what I'm saying. If you are America's team and you are the Dallas Cowboys, there's no such thing. That's it. And now, especially since they were two and two coming into this game, they were eight and eight last year, and coming into the game over their last 320 games, they were 160 and 160. So that is as, as, as with one playoff win. Yeah. And if you are the high and mighty America's team, you can't be counting moral victories in that respect. But what I mean, the, the issue for Denver is this was the first time for a full game they missed Von Miller. Big time. Well, you mentioned the coaching earlier in regards to the Cowboys' offensive play calling, but I'm yelling at my computer screen or my t- television screen saying, let them score. When it, whenever he he didn't get the first down by the by uh, the out of bounds marker, uh, and then it was third and one, but if they would have rushed for three yards, it would have been a touchdown. But one yard was the first down. If you're Dallas, there don't don't you just let them score at that point? Um, I don't know. I, I think if you're, it, but I, I don't think Peyton Manning would have bid on that. He wouldn't have bid on it. He knows exactly how to win yeah. a game. It kind of goes back to the Super Bowl. Where, Didn't he say uh, after I'm the game? Bradshaw. Didn't he essentially say after the game to know that he was arguing with Noshawn Marino? Let's let's win this game the right way. He did. Didn't he, say that? he did. He hit Noshawn hit the pile though pretty hard. And if the, if the Cowboy defenders just open up, he's going to score. But here's what Peyton said after the game. And let's hear it. I mean, this just goes to show you how in tune he is with what's going on. We needed to get the first down, but we didn't need to score, and that difference was about half a yard. And no, Sean and I were arguing at the end, and he, was, he basically was asking, how am I supposed to do that? You know, how can I get half a yard but not get uh, a yard and a half? And uh, I just said, you can't. You can't, you can't score. You, you can't do it. Uh, We've got to get the first down, kick a field goal, and get out of this place. And uh, we kept it, kept it pretty close there at the end. <laughs> he's just locked in. He's, he's an, he's, he is just a different creature than most players who put a helmet on. Yeah, I just think they, they should have let them, even before that play, once they're inside your 10-yard line, you know they're coming away with at least three. He is so aware in real time of what needs to be done. You know, and then it's just, but his his narrative, you've got the Romo narrative, we all know the Peyton Manning narrative, is what's going to happen in January. I just can't see this not resulting. I know it's just, it's it. it I can't see it not resulting. How about the bootleg? In 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 you know, in the bootleg where he he said after the game that he didn't tell anybody that he was keeping it. Did you know that? No, I did not. He told after the game he told he said that he told nobody in the huddle that he was keeping it, and that to he did that in order to make sure that it would be sold properly to the Dallas defense. So no, Sean Marino when he bashed into the pile without the ball, he was wondering where is the football. <laughs> That's wow. amazing. And what was do- going down is Peyton Manning was scoring his first rushing and touchdown in no five Sean years. No, Sean took some took some serious hits on that play for not I having know. the oh, football. Yeah. It's incredible. Ar- it's incredible. Arches. He play. He's playing. He is playing this position 
at such a high level. I've never seen it like this. I've never seen it sustained like this for five games. He's got Jacksonville this week. As you know, the town that, 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 that remains nameless in NFL media that starts with a V um, has Jacksonville basically saying don't get on a plane. Uh, so that's 6-0, and which means Week 7's game, the Sunday night football game on NBC Week 7, is becoming that much more huge. And what that is is it's Denver's uh, trip to Indianapolis. Peyton's return to Indy, where the Colts are now in first place How after about their that win, win over against Seattle. How about that one? Where the Colts are in first place. All three of us had that one last night. And uh, Von, Miller, Von Miller returns that game as well. The suspension is over. And Indianapolis has got... A lot going for it right now, man. How about that win against Seattle, where uh, Seattle started that game as 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 well as anybody could on yeah. the road, and and Indianapolis survived it. Andrew Luck made the plays in the fourth quarter. Indianapolis this week um, is at San Diego on Monday Night Football, so uh, that's a winnable game for Indy, man. That should be a W. I know that's there should be and could be and whatever, but Andrew Luck on national television for the first of two consecutive weeks, and then we've got him on a Thursday night game coming up in Tennessee in November. Week 11 is when we have them to kick off, and we assume Jake Locker will be back then, but that's way down the road. Uh, before we get to this game, we're going to get to that later on uh, before we speak to, to Bill O'Brien. Uh, I want to hit the other team in Texas. Oof. Because that, I mean, I got a tweet last night. Who would you take, Shaba Romo? And again, that just grates at me because of the Romo narrative here. Are you kidding me? No debate. Are you kidding me? You Which know, quarterback would we would, would you want? You know what's amazing, Rich? You know we do these bold predictions every week on NFL Game Day morning. How did how did somebody not? Didn't we talk about well, that? Marsh, meeting? Marshall almost, almost almost said that he was going to have Schaub for a fourth straight week throw a pick six. Instead, he went with Terrell Pryor having more rushing yards than the Chargers. You know what that finished up? No. Chargers thirty two, Pryor thirty one. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Oh, my Lord. He wow. almost hit two. Schaub just, I mean, he looks like he's lost all confidence out there. It's, o- it's over. Can you believe after throwing pick sixes in three straight games, including the, the last one that he had thrown before this week against Seattle and the manner in which he threw it and the, and the circumstances of the game and how it sparked the overtime that, that, that led to a defeat and a whole week long of Gary Kubiak having to defend uh, Schaub in front of the media, a players-only meeting taking place behind the scenes to, to rally everybody. Can you believe that his first pass attempt and their first possession to open Sunday Night Football was a pick six? I could not <laughs> believe that. And the game was a wrap from there. You just knew it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just knew it. I mean, even though it was 7 nothing, you just knew it. It was finished. It was over. Now, what do you do if you're Gary Kubiak? <laughs> he was asked right after the game, correct, Chris? Long, he was. About that? Do you have that? I do. Sound? Okay, go for it. Here's, here's oh, Coach Kubiak. been a good player in this league for a long, long time. He's played really good for this organization. He's helped this organization become a winner. So uh, I have to evaluate what's going on, what we're doing, how we're doing it. You know, that's my responsibility. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I believe in him as a person. I believe in him as a player. He's done it before, and, and I've seen guys work through this stuff, and i got to do everything I can to help him work through it. Two, two questions. Yes. One, is he Benjamin Button? Because Gary Kubiak looks like he's gotten younger as he's gone on coaching. <laughs> okay. And two, is he on the hot seat? Well, here's, here's the answers to that. Um, 
The answer to your first question is yes, he is Benjamin Button. <laughs> oh, great. He looks yep. like he's younger. Very accurate description. Uh, just in the same way that uh, that Joe Philbin is Robert Duvall, by the way. <laughs> that was a great call by you on uh, he is Robert Duvall. GDM this week. Uh, and, and to answer your second question, let me translate the soundbite we just heard from Gary Kubiak of what he said about Matt Schaub still staying as his quarterback. I love your soundbite translations. Here's my soundbite translation. My soundbite translation is this. I know I need to do better this year than my team did last year when we went to New England in the divisional round and got waxed. And I know my team is now 4-7 and seven since we put on the Letterman jackets going to New England in the regular season last year. And I know all of that, and I know for sure T.J. Yates is not the guy who's going to take me further than my team did last year. And I also know we're playing the Rams next week at home. If Matt Schaub sh- the bed in that game, then I'll go to T.J. Yates. But I know this is a perfect circumstance for him to get home and go against the Rams and let's run Arian Foster in the same way that Dallas did with DeMarco Murray. Let's run Arian Foster in the same manner that Frank Gore did against this team. Let's get better and get well at home, get one under our belt, and then in week number seven, Houston is going to be at Kansas City for a big one, and I need... I need Matt Schaub to have his confidence back, and let's win that one and build some momentum. That is in between the lines of what Gary Kubiak just said. So the answer is yes, he's on the hot seat. Yes, he is, because there's no answer. TJ Yates is not the answer, man. You can't just turn to him in the middle of the season because that means you can't go back to Schaub. The minute you go to Yates, Schaub's finished there in Texas, period. Finished in Houston because in Texas to say because Dallas never get him. Sounded like Freeman could be a possibility there, and then he. Well, up, he went up, to Minnesota, which makes sense because yeah. you covet what you see every day. Is the line from Silence of the Lambs one of my favorite lines, and uh, and the Bucks have beaten Minnesota a couple years in a row with Josh Freeman, yeah. and Freeman's looked really good doing it, and um, you know I mean he's not going to start this week because he just got there on Monday night, so. Um, so Freeman is now in minute, and that's something else we're going to talk about with Silver. We're going to talk with Mike Silver about all of this stuff. And um, we got Bill O'Brien on this show of the um, of the uh, Penn State Nittany Lions playing my Michigan Wolverines this week. As the uh, Nittany Lions come fresh off of the first ever loss to Indiana, yeah, I'm going to get this all out of my system. Are you going to? I'm going to turn the mic over to you to ask the specific Penn State questions. Oh, you're going to put me in that position? What I, 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 yeah, I, Chris Law, Chris Law. You know I've got three children all under five, correct? <laughs> yes. You know I do Thursday night football on the road each week, correct? Yes. You Uh-oh. know uh, that's me giving you, sending you an email to remind you of my, of, my, of, my, uh, of my schedule in case you don't know. As Chris Brockman knows, I do NFL game day morning on Sundays. All of that. And I try to, I try to be a good dad, good husband, try to be a good Michigan Wolverine fan. When do I have time to stay up to date with the nuances of Penn State football? When do I ha- possibly have time to do all Just that? Just when you're checking out my Twitter feed alone, you should know what, what the latest is. Brockman, help me out here. <laughs> oh, my. I can't. Um, but we, first, we've got to get on the phone line to uh, somebody who knows quite a bit about Peyton Manning's magical run and about quarterbacking at a high level. And he is the Hall of Fame executive vice president of the Denver Broncos, John Elway. I have uh, one of the men at the top of the flow chart 
of the Denver Broncos right now. Also happens to be a pro football Hall of Famer from the class of 2004, the EVP of football operations of the 5-0 and Denver Broncos, John Elway, back on the Rich Eisen podcast. How are you, John? Doing great, Rich. So where, where does, I mean, just to us mere mortals on planet Earth, watching Peyton Manning direct this offense, it's, it's otherworldly. I've never seen anything like it, and I'd love to get the perspective of somebody who has played the the position at such a high level. What are you where, from where you're sitting? How does Peyton look to you? I, I mean, I think it looks he looks as good to me as he looks to everybody else. I think that he has just been uh, you know absolutely tremendous. Has a great feel for the offense now with it being his second year here, and I think he's got it. Uh, you know. Working with uh, Adam Gase, our offensive coordinator, they've got it to where you know it's, they've, they've got it on hitting all cylinders right now. And there's a lot of a lot of cylinders with uh, Wes Welker and Demarius Thomas, Julius Thomas, and, and Decker, and you know, and, and no Sean Marino running the football the way he's doing. And then offensive line wise, you know, we're protecting him very well too. So, like you said, it is it's uh, it's a treat to watch and. <clears throat> the execution has been tremendous so far. Well, it's not just knowing his offense. It's knowing the other team's defense almost as well as he knows his own offense. I've, it, it's, I, I, and I know that's his mo, but it just seems yeah. like he's in, he's just operating on a higher plane on that front than he's ever done before. Yeah, he really is, and I think that that is, uh, you know, that's what he does so well, and I think that's really what separates him from everybody else, and the fact that uh, he has such great knowledge of the game and understands defensively, defenses so uh, intricately that uh, you know he's just a tremendous reader of those defenses it gets them to show what he wants to see and then goes from there so you know it's a great advantage to know what the coverage is before you get the ball in your hands and that's what he's able to do but uh, the way you watch the, the game I'm sure again is, is is a way that no one else can watch the game in many ways has has Peyton made a read uh, on a defense where you didn't even see it pre-snap um you know I think that he always would the one thing that I'm astonished is he, he you know 99.9% of the time he's going to the right spot, and that's, that's what's amazing. And I think that the consistency in which he does that. And then I think the thing that really kind of what we take for, you know, take for granted is the fact that his accuracy, and, and he's always on target, and he gives these guys the ability to catch and then, and catch it and then run after they catch it because, you know, these guys have done a tremendous job after they catch the football. But the, the ease in which he makes those catches for those guys is something that I think is gets lost because of the fact that he's so we get so memorized by uh, you know what he's doing uh, pre-snap and, and uh, where he's going with football. And it just, but it, it would stand to reason, just again as a, a mere mortal on on the planet, when you're trying to maintain control of your own offense and you're trying to read the other team's defense in controlling your own offense, also having the wherewithal to know how much time's left in the game, situationally what needs to be done. For instance, telling no Sean Marino, don't try so hard at the end. We don't want to score here and give the ball back to Romo so we can just kick the field goal and win. It's it's remarkable to me, John. Yeah, it really is. And I think that, that uh, you know, that's 16 years of experience, too. And he's been doing this for a long, long time. And, you know, he's been uh, – he was the guy that kind of started the no huddle as far as, you know, he's been doing it from way back. And so he's got just a tremendous amount of – experience doing it and uh you know he's the best doing it so what what can he do from here because <laughs> can, can he get better you think he can get better here 
Sure. I mean, I think the execution, you know, we haven't been, even though we've been hitting on all cylinders, and, you know, there's going to be bumps on the road for us, but I think that you look at it and, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, it looks it looks pretty darn good, and it actually is pretty darn good. But I think that any time you look at film, you know, you're never as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as you you may think you have played when you look at the film. And so there's always areas for improvement, and people are going to adjust to us. And so we just got to we got to try to stay one step ahead of them. Adam Gates is doing a tremendous job, as well as the offensive staff and and Peyton of trying to stay ahead of people because everything's going to change. And so it's just a matter of adjusting. And I think that uh, you know we have that ability to continue to do that. And then on the flip side, in a game like you you just had defensively, I mean, everyone's talking about. Uh, you know, Romo throwing the pick, et cetera, et cetera. But Romo did have 500 yards of passing. Was this the first game of the entire uh, season so far where from snap one to snap last, your defense was missing Von Miller in a way that uh, we really haven't seen much except maybe the first half of week number one, John? Well, I mean, I think that was part of it. There's no question. Anytime you don't have a player like Von Miller, it can rush the pass or it, it can affect your defense. But I, I will tell you this, and I – you know, I obviously the mistake that Tony made late uh, is getting all the is getting all the attention. But Tony Romo had a tremendous game, and he did a tremendous job of buying time and extending plays. And um, I mean, he played as good as any quarterback has played in the league in that in that in the performance he had. And so <clears throat> he did a tremendous job of making us look that you know not as good as we were on you know look bad on defense because of the plays that he were make he was making. And so. Credit goes both ways, and plus we just got to do a better job on the defensive side. But we know you get a quarterback like Tony, Tony when he gets hot, you know, and the receivers that he has, he's tough to stop. Well, he's just in a tough position there too in Dallas, and he's sort of the the, the personification of the quarterback getting too much of the blame sometimes. And I know that a lot of people might be hearing this and hear me say that how, how he always seems to throw that deadly pick at the wrong time. But I mean. The reason, the reason why you were down and that your team was down in the fourth quarter is because of what Romo was doing the entire day. I mean, yeah, I mean, no question. And I think that you know, and you look at the play, you know, Tony got some pressure, but Danny Trevathan made a tremendous stretched out interception too. And so, I mean, you know, there's 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 things that happen in that situation. And I, you know, I just my hats off to Tony because he he made us chase them the whole day, especially that second half when he got hot. So. You know, we, uh, we, we're going to learn a lot from this defensively. It was a good win for us, but I think we've got to continue to look at what we're doing and know that we still have a long way to go on, on the defensive side of the ball. And offensively, there's still some things we can do better. Well, you've got one more game left uh, this week against Jacksonville at home. Um, and I don't even want to call it a trap game because that would be calling, like, the Grand Canyon a trap. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> – it's, it's something where I, – I, I mean, how do you handle this week – where a team that few people even give a chance to beat you with Peyton Manning having an arm tied behind his back. I mean, how are you and John Fox handle a week like this? Well, to me, I think when I look at it, I, you know, and obviously I was near the end of my career, I was on some real good football teams. And I think, you know, to me, the bottom line is we got to take pride in what we do. And it doesn't matter who we're playing on Sunday. We take pride in what we're doing. We go out and we're competing against ourselves to be the best that we can. And it doesn't matter who we're lining up against. It's the fact that, Certain defenses are, are called, or offensive plays are called. We have to go execute that. So to me, it's a pride thing, and it's about you know how good we want to be. And, and so I mean, whether it be Jacksonville or anybody that we play, that's how we have to go into each game. Was the the mindset is we're going to go out there to be the best that we can be, and it doesn't matter who's on the other side. So you know, to me, that's a maturity level, and I'm you know I think that we have a mature football team, and I think we'll go out there and and uh, 
you know, Jacksonville still has a, a lot of good football players, and so we're going to have to be ready and go out and play our type of game. And in the week, it's just also the week after too. Going back to Indy, you know, the house that Peyton built. Your 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 guy from uh, from the Stanford Cardinal, uh, yeah. Andrew Luck, out there too. I mean, there's just so much to look forward to in Week Seven. On top of all of this, John, if you think about it. Well, yeah, but I don't think that uh, we'll get that far ahead. I think we try to look at keep the picture small and look at what's in front of us. And, and uh, you know, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars are next, and, you know, it's a home game. And so um, it's important for us. I think it's a chance for us to take another step forward. Obviously, it's still you know, we've got a long way to go. There's only there's 11 more games to go. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can make a step. And if you look, you know, the way we played def- defense last week, uh, you know, we got to take a step and get better this week. Three and uh, three minutes and a half with you left here. When was the last time you spoke to Von Miller? What's his status right now, John? You know what? He's been working hard, and I, you know, I'm I'm proud of Von and the fact that obviously we, there were some big bumps in the in the road. But I think that uh, you know we've he's done a good job and understands the situation and where he is. He's worked tremendously hard in the weight room. He couldn't be on the practice field, and so. He'll be back on the practice field next Monday, but uh, he's worked tremendously hard in the in the, in the weight room, and uh, he'll be ready to go. I think that uh, you know Vaughn is as uh, hard as a lesson as this has been. It's been a good lesson for him, and I think that uh, you know he's going to make strides in his life, and and uh, you know this will just be a bump, and hopefully it's in the path for him. Would you mind letting us in on what, what do you say to him when I mean he's. He, I've met him many times. He's he's smart enough to know that he's one strike away from a year-long suspension here. And yeah. even though, uh, what do you say to him, John, to sit him down and essentially tell him what time it is in that regard? Well, I mean, I think sometimes there's a there's, you know, obviously there's reality checks. We all go through reality checks in our life, and this is a reality check for Vaughn. He's got to understand, you know, where he is, the situation that. Uh, that he's in, and he understands. I think he's taken credit and understands that no one else got him in this situation except Vaughn, and and no one's going to keep himself out of this situation except Vaughn. Even though there's going to be a lot of support for him along the way, the bottom line is going to be Vaughn. So, you know, he's a 24-year-old kid, as you said. That's a good kid. Uh, really doesn't have a mean bone in his body. Just uh, you know, has made some wrong decisions, and and uh, you know, he'll grow from these. And I, I sort of hit with you on this all the time. You know, and uh, your second act here is a is a, an EVP and and somebody who's a, a quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, I've met I've met Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Your lack of a, if you don't mind, you're all control freaks. I mean, you're all you're all you're, you're all guys out there who who understand that you can control only what you can control, but you want to control everything. And from your position, you can't. I mean, you, that, that yeah, that happens when you get the ball in your hand. <laughs> you know exactly right, and you and right. you're now watching the ball and everyone else is. I mean, and obviously, I mean it's like a rocking chair. I imagine when Peyton has it in his hand, um, but uh, when when you see somebody like Julius Thomas, we all talk about Vaughn being your number, your first overall pick, but you take a kid in the fourth round, pick one twenty nine, right? He's a tight end at a Portland State, and now we are watching him crush it. Are you sitting up there pumping your fists and that this is the sort of thing that this is what you makes your adrenaline flow now as opposed to being a quarterback on the field, John? Yeah, I mean it really is. It's it, you know I take pride in the fact of the team that we have and the team that we're putting on the field, and you know obviously Peyton be a big part of that, but also all the other pieces that we have out there. It's it's proud. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we have a good football team, and and you know Julius Thomas is one of those that uh, a guy that we were able to to pick in the fourth round and just watch him blossom, um, you know, and then Danny Trevathan, who is having a tremendous year that we took in the sixth round. And so, 
you know, in, in Woodyard's, uh, you know, a free agent. So it's fun to see those guys come out and play the way that they're playing and, and to see how they play together as a team is, is you know, where I get my joy. And, and I, you know, as I told them, I said, you know, our goal is to win a Super Bowl, and I'm here to tell you it's worth it And uh, because I was fortunate to win two. And I, I'm here to help you guys get, understand what that feeling is all about. And winning the Super Bowl, I'm telling you right now, is worth it. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure you're – do you have those conversations with Peyton too? Or you don't really have to say that, right? I don't have to tell him. He already knows that. But I just want to get everyone else excited about it. And, and uh, you know, I think that uh, you know, even though that is our long-range goal, our, short, our short-term uh, sights are on Jacksonville. John, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you. Uh, I guess we're coming out there mid-December for the, our last Thursday night game. We're going to see you, you out bet. there. We'll look forward to seeing you. You bet. That's John Elway, the EVP of football ops of the 5-0 Broncos on the Rich Eisen podcast. That's the freaking Duke, everybody. That is John Elway. He's got to be. I mean, he won't say it, but he's got to be like after the whole Tebow era. And I'm not bashing on Tim Tebow here, okay? Are you sure? But I'm not bashing on him when I mention it here, okay? Because I understand what he brought and what he brings in terms of fan excitement and and the fans who love him deeply are, are, are right to do so, okay? I'm not poking fun at that. But the difference between the way Tim Tebow can run an offense and at what level he can run an offense and what his upside is in running an offense doesn't even come within a million miles of Peyton Manning's floor, okay? And Elway, when he first got there, had that situation to deal with because he knows what an offense, in his mind, that he wants to win a championship should look like. And that sure wasn't it. And... Peyton Manning comes. He was able to stage the bloodless coup of Tebow mania that we always talk about on this podcast. What is happening now? He has got to be sitting there up there in wherever he watches from his perch laughing. Now, he knows that anything can happen in the NFL clearly, sure. right? Sure. That one one situation, one down, one You're play, one, one hit injury. Away. Of course, exactly. I understand. But he's got to be sitting up there going, holy crow. Constant fist pumping. Right. And some of his moves, like I pointed out, Julius Thomas, fourth round out of Portland State. This guy's out of his mind right out now. Out of his mind. Good. And Peyton, obviously, is the right quarterback from the right system and all that stuff. But it's all clicking right now. And the 103 points that the Broncos have scored the last two games are as much as the Rams have scored all season and more than nine NFL teams have scored all season. <laughs> What they have scored in the last two games. I mean, we could wow. sit here over and over and over again. We've seen all these stats. What's the one that you said about touchdowns to punts? Yeah, Pey- I think uh, Peyton's thrown 20 touchdowns, and the Broncos have punted the ball 15 times no, no. this season. All right. you have it. Broncos uh, have the Colts week seven, and the Colts, uh, we haven't hit this game at, at, at fully yet. The Colts just took care of business against Seattle. Did they ever. And Seattle came out of the, the gates strong. And the manner that we've been sitting here, we talk about that we want to see a game from Seattle on the road yep. that looks like the Seattle in front of the 12th man. Yep. And they did. And Pete Carroll, as you know, came on the show two weeks ago and essentially said, that's, that's you guys in the media. We don't care. Marshall Falk backed that up as he was sitting in between the two of us, Chris Brockman, on our, on our game day morning meeting on Saturday saying, listen, 
I don't care. You, you On the road in the NFL, you win by one. There's no pictures in the standings. I don't care what it looks like. Right. He, he basically said, and that's the way everybody thinks about the NFL, and that's just a media it's creation. A media we want to see you hit people in the mouth so we can believe in you as a Super I Bowl totally champ. Well, I mean, they, they came out, and they got a bum call in my mind. They were up 10 nothing, and then blocked a Pat McAfee punt, and it looked like they recovered in the end zone as one of the Seahawks slid through the end zone. It did seem to me that he had possession of the football. That's five more points. And as we know, that would have been a crucial difference maker in the game. They would have been up 17 nothing. Instead, uh, Luck finds T.Y. Hilton for the first of several times on the day, and now it's 12-7. Boom, just one play in. And you know, it's funny. Marshall was talking about T.Y. Hilton in the meeting yeah, saying also. That, saying that those big, long, tall receivers couldn't cover him. They wouldn't, know, they wouldn't know what to do with him. Oh, he and, thought, and he he thought the longer defensive backs would struggle with the smaller receiver. Yep, T.Y. Hilton, yep. Hilton, yes. Wow. And, uh, you know, Marshall's like, I've said it before, and you know this now being his personal uh, producer in, on game day morning this fall. He's like Rain Man. He will know exactly how many football toothpicks have been dropped on the floor. He, he really will. And, and it's, uh, it's a blessing watching football and talking with him and being a friend of his over eight years now. It's a blessing. It really is. It's incredible. And that's why I told you when you were... When you were assigned to Marshall yeah, Brockman, you I'm were like, excited. just wait for the carpet yeah, it's, ride. Being it's been with amazing him. so the far. The amount of football you learned from him. Oh, but at any rate, uh, and then the Colts and the Seahawks traded punches. Russell Wilson had over a hundred yards rushing. He is just so difficult to stop. So and all I keep thinking is watching them right now. Sometimes struggle on offense. Sometimes needing Russell Wilson to get those yards with his legs that you think can't be sustainable in the way that we just talked about, you know, what Elway was talking about mm. with what he thinks about or not what he's talking about, what we believe Elway believes is the way to run an <laughs> offense in the NFL. I keep thinking what's going to happen if Percy Harvin comes back. That takes this team to the next level in my mind, which it could still go to anyway without him. But you got to wonder what type of football shape he's going to be in, what type of impact he's going to make. Could you imagine if he was on that field every every week? Oh, right yeah. Now? I mean, look at what guys Could you like- imagine – Look at what Woodhead's doing. Those those smaller guys that are just killing if it. If Percy Harvin was healthy, and they're still 4-1, and one, and so are the Colts, with Luck doing what he did in the fourth quarter, he is so good. He's got that magic, man. He is so good, and he's so good in the pocket. He steps up. How many times do you see the young quarterback, even some veteran quarterbacks, backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. He steps up in the pocket, man, yeah. and he makes decisions that are smart he threw reggie wayne open for the two-point conversion in the fourth quarter he saw nothing there and he goes i'm gonna throw it here and trust my future hall of fame receiver which i believe reggie wayne is to go get it luck is the real deal man and they're four and one they are four and one they're at san diego this uh monday night we all know what san diego is like on monday night football sometimes (laughs) i think i'm gonna try to go i might try to go good for you why not you should it's always fun to go to a Charger Monday game. Down in San Diego. Oh, Monday night. Lock's going Qualcomm? there. At, yeah. You just got to promote Qualcomm. Just, yeah, right? you're here to honor and... Uh, Matt Harvey style? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you're here to honor and uh, support Qualcomm, I'm as Matt here, Harvey would say. I'm not here to talk about that. So you figure that's if they win that game, they're 5-1 and one going against what we fully expect to be 6-0 and oh Denver on Sunday night football uh, for week seven. It's amazing wow, how that just works out for NBC. For Pull up a chair for that. Exactly. Al and Chris, if we had Al here, he'd, he'd be ecstatic. <laughs> ecstatic. Albino, it's OJ here. 
You give him one of the all time. He's uh, we've got Dennis Miller coming back in a couple of weeks, by the way, just yes. uh, as a regular guest, not to surprise anybody. And we got Bill O'Brien on this show of the um, of the uh, Penn State Nittany Lions. My graduate school professor, okay, is a, uh, a gentleman named Lou Prado. Yes, you know who Lou Prado is. Lou Prado, he yes. is the for preeminent historian historian of Penn State football. Also is a longtime news director in the television business. Uh, I believe one of his first uh, sportscasters was a sportscaster named Dan Pugh, who turned into Dan Patrick back in the day. Wow. Yes, Lou Prado. Didn't know that. Yes. Excellent. Lou, Lou is a Penn State nut. He now lives in Happy yep, Valley right the, now uh, with his lovely State, wife. The Penn State football encyclopedia. He was my... Northwestern School of Journalism professor. Oh, okay. Who stuck his figurative foot up my figurative behind <laughs> and really, you know, taught me about real world stuff and uh, over the television business. Um, he's a huge Penn State guy. Yeah, definitely. And I watched the first ever Michigan Penn State game with him in his hotel room with all of his Penn State people. Back what? in 1994. Oh, I remember that game. Bobby Ingram. Wasn't good for me. Yeah, Bobby Ingram late in the fourth quarter from Kerry Collins down the seam uh, catching the game-winning touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. I want to say 38-35. But that was a wrong. rough, rough year. 94 was also um, the Colorado. Oh, that was Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook. Uh, Cordell Stewart to yes. Brian. Or not Brian Westbrook. Michael Westbrook. Yes. Wow. I remember watching that game, too. That was a rough college football season two years later though it turned out all right so yeah well we don't have to go there we go undefeated that year they give the title to to nebraska two years later Mm -hmm. you and nebraska go undefeated they split the national championship so we play each other this week it's homecoming it's homecoming yeah homecoming 31 24 that game yeah number three penn state number five michigan michigan's a homecoming is there any is there any imagery you're trying to project (laughs) i know i know I know we we squeaked by Akron and UConn, but a homecoming game. I, I Michigan yeah, is homecoming. You know that's the uh, the powers that be on that one, I guess. But uh, you guys haven't been on the schedule because now there's so many teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, I know we don't play you guys every year, but with the realignment that's happening once Maryland and Rutgers, yeah, we're join, always playing Albert Breer. That's true. We're but always playing the, Bert. Uh, Coach is calling in a minute. What, okay, what was yes. the last college football game you were at? Last one I was at was it's been a while. I assume. Last one I was at was the national championship game that Cam Newton won over Oregon. I oh, went to that game in Arizona. Oh, really? At the Fiesta? Or yes. The, yeah, where, where Cam just lost this week in what, that stadium to Michigan? Arizona, by the way, at 1-3. Oh, my Lord. Uh, last Michigan game I went to was the one that Susie was the sideline reporter for at ABC Sports when um, Michigan beat Michigan State in triple overtime. Nice. Thanks to Braylon Edwards coming up big. Ah. in overtime. That's how long ago it was because, you know, I mean, on Saturday we didn't have game day morning yet. We didn't do anything. That I, I mean, right. we, I don't even think we had a nighttime highlight show I had to get back for. Hmm. But then, you know, when game day highlight starts and, well, it wasn't even called game day. It was called NFL game day. We were the first one, by the way. There you go. Me, Dion, and Mooch doing the night show. That's it. There wasn't an early highlight show. There wasn't a late highlight show. There was just one highlight show. There wasn't a morning show. Building the brand. Right. It was called NFL Game Day. Just letting you guys know. It came first as we're celebrating our 10th anniversary coming up. 
It's uh, November. All right, is he on the phone? Is your coach on the phone? Coach is there. All right, Chris Law, what year were you? Penn State? What were you uh, I was class of uh, 06, but I grew up in State College. Are you ready so. to talk to your head coach? I'm ready to Are talk you ready to, to, to talk coach. to the man that you've put all your hopes and dreams into? Are you ready for that? I, I am ready for this, I Rich. believe he is on the line. He is the head coach of Penn State football, the reigning coach of the year in college football, Bill O'Brien. How are you, coach? I'm doing fine, Rich. How are you? I'm doing fine. Are you doing fine, Chris Law? That's I'm your do- coach I'm right I'm doing there. fine. You know, I'm going to let this one go for a little between you two. Is that then, right? Uh, you know, I'll let you set the tempo. Okay. That's nice to let you host your own show, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Hey, Coach, uh, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, a big week, the University of Michigan, which is my uh, esteemed alma mater that's coming in this week. Uh, it's the first time you faced off with the Wolverines, right? You guys didn't play last year, correct? Right. That's right. First time. Yep. All right. What are you seeing on film? What are you seeing? Oh, you know, I think Brady's done a really good job of um, – of getting that program, you know, back to being Michigan football. I think they're they're a tough team. I think they're very tough on defense and the fact that they don't give up many rushing yards. And I think uh, offensively, they you know they're they're back to running the football. And Devin Gardner's a dangerous guy when he gets outside the pocket. So I think you know it's a big challenge for our football team, but uh, we're looking forward to it. Now, I know you mentioned getting back to Michigan football. You in your uh, situation for the lack of a better phrase, getting, uh, getting everything back to Penn State football. What has been the biggest challenge for you so far, Coach? Well, you know, I don't know. I think it's, it's been a really, Rich, it's been a really enjoyable experience. We, we have great kids here. Um, you know, we, we've had our ups and downs, no question about it, but we've got a bunch of kids that worked extremely hard. I, I, I really believe that the future at uh, Penn State is very bright. Uh, you know, we find that in recruiting, once we get a guy here on campus, we're able to have a real good shot at him. And, you know, we've already shown that we can recruit here. So, you know, we, we feel good about the future and we feel good about this season. We had a tough game last week, uh, you know, didn't play well, didn't coach well. And, and we put that one behind us and we're really focused on Michigan. So uh, going back to your pro days, which is something I'd love to chat with you about as well, since obviously this is an NFL podcast. Um, you had a Michigan man in your midst, to say the least, uh, Tom Brady, in your days as an offensive assistant with the New England Patriots. What was it like standing on that sideline as an assistant in um, uh, February through, through that 2007 season, watching Brady go do what he did with Randy Moss? What was that like for you, Coach? Well, that's uh, one of the best experiences I've had in football. You know, that was a year where, you know, I had been a coordinator in college and just decided that I – I wanted to have a shot to coach in the pros, so I took a, a quality control job in New England, and and uh, you know had a great experience because that year, you know, we obviously lost the Super Bowl, but it was a fantastic year. And they, that was a that was a group of players that practiced well, that were really really bright football players, and and obviously uh, very very talented, skilled players. And and it was just a fun year to watch every single game. Uh, was a heck of a game. Even some of the games were blowouts, but even the games that were great games, like the Giant game where we went mm-hmm. to 16-0, and was a fantastic football game. So that was one of the better years I've had in, in coaching. What is it like controlling the quality of a Bill Belichick product? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I worked uh, real close that year with uh, Josh McDaniels, and then the following year in 08, I was the wide receiver coach. So, you know, I, Josh and I are real close, and uh, – you know, that was a good year because I learned a lot about pro football. You know, I think that was important for me because I took a step back and I was able to, uh, you know, do that with, with the blessing, obviously, of my wife because I took <laughs> a little bit of a pay cut there. But, uh, right. but you know, it was good to work with Josh and, and uh, 
help out as much as I could with the skill players, you know, the, the quarterbacks, the, the receivers, the tight ends and things like that, and then obviously do a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes type work. Well, you know, we the, the story of Brady is, is all well told, certainly being a Michigan guy myself. I know it very well with him sharing time with uh, Drew Henson in college and being picked 199th overall, and everybody says that that is the flame that's constantly on that 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 boils his blood to constantly be great what would you agree with that what what makes tom brady tick from a man who's been standing right next to him a couple yeah. of seasons you know i actually coached him for three seasons i i uh i can't agree with that more i couldn't agree with that more that 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 is exactly what he is you know it was always difficult to even put the backup quarterback in we had a guy brian hoyer who's obviously mm-hmm. hurt now but was playing well for the for the cleveland browns was a really good player and you know we had to get him some reps and tom you know he, he never wanted brian to get into practice because you know that was the the fire like you said that burned inside of him he never wanted to have you know he wanted to compete and never have a chance to lose his job you know that's the way he was and you know, I just remember practice was so important to him. He wanted to have perfect practices, and that's almost impossible to do. But he, he was always a guy that uh, was meticulous in his preparation and, and wanted everybody around him to, to perform at a very high level. And, and he held, that, you know, held those guys to that standard. And it was, it was really a, a, you know, a fun time to be around him for me. It was a great experience for me. And obviously there was that infamous moment on the sideline, the Redskins game coach where you you guys sort of went at each other and you know all of us in the media when we see a camera on that we're all thinking that you guys aren't fine is that uh, would that be an accurate description no no we we um you know tom and i have a really close relationship uh he's a good friend and uh you know that you know what happens in in uh, in any type of football especially you know nfl football or division one college football they're emotional games and you don't always agree with how you see things, and uh, you know, especially when you have two Irish guys like that with hot tempers. That's what, that's kind of what happened that day, and it was it was quickly over after that because we we were almost getting ready to go to overtime. I think Gerard Mayo actually intercepted a pass to steal mm-hmm. the game, but they were driving the ball. And we had to get ready for overtime, so we we quickly put put the differences aside on that one, and, and that happens. You know, those are competitive games and, and that, those types of things happen all the time it's so rare to talk to an assistant of a new england patriot organization so i'd love to pick your brain what is it like being an assistant to bill belichick well it's a it's a it's a experience that i was very fortunate to have i i, I learned so much every single day you know i learned about uh how to prepare a team and how, how each game is different you know every single opponent is uh is different in, in what they do and how you have to prepare each and every week and then how you evaluate talent for the draft or for free agency or, you know, what you do with your off-season program. I mean, every single day was a great learning experience for me. And then, you know, obviously, as I got more and more into the organization, I contributed, you know, my share to it. But but uh, it was just a tremendous experience to work for him every day. He, he demanded a lot of us. He, you know, the days weren't always easy, but but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you, when you were done working, you knew you just learned a lot each and every day. Do you find yourself saying Belichick-isms on your job at no, all? I, you know, Rich, I, I really <laughs> – it's funny you say that. I was talking about this the other day. There's only one Bill Belichick, and I think if you ever try to leave there and try to be like Bill Belichick, you're, you know, that's not the way to go. I, I think you have to be yourself and take the things that you learn from him and try to – in some way, you know, if you think they're they're applicable to your program, then then apply them. But if not, 
then do your own thing. You know, you have to have your own style. And, uh, you know, Bill certainly has his own style, which, you know, I respect. And he's a great friend. And, uh, you know, everybody's got to be their own own man, though. Now, I know you mentioned Brady and you mentioned Brian Hoyer. The news about him just makes you sick. I mean, he had his opportunity right there yeah. in his in his hometown for his yeah, team. Yeah, it was too. I was actually watching the game. I felt terrible for him, but you know what? He's a um, he's a very resilient kid. I, you know, he beat out two guys to make that team back in '09 mm-hmm. in New England, and and uh, you know he'll come back from this. You know, those ACL things, those, those guys, those things are uh, repaired pretty easily nowadays, and. He'll come back, and, and uh, whether it's Cleveland or somewhere else, he'll he'll have a shot because he's proven that he, that he can do it at that level. Right, because as you know, I mean, in the NFL, you've got to make moves for the draft, and 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 the Browns may go in a different direction. You're right; it may have to be somewhere else. And then Brady is the personification of of making the most of your opportunity and doing something with it. You you've got you've got a Penn Stater on that Oakland depth chart right now, Matt McGloin, and word out of Oakland is they love this kid. They absolutely love him, and you know it's it's no mistake that Matt Flynn was the one that they let go. They didn't. They, they've held on a McGloin out there this yeah. week. Yeah, you know Matt. Matt is uh, just a a really fantastic team player and a very smart kid. Rich, you know, like he. We came in here to Penn State, and you know our offense is not the easiest one to learn right off the bat. And he was a guy that really studied and was able to pick things up and get better every single day, and he worked at it. You know, he really – he was a very, very hardworking, very driven kid. No one's ever going to tell him no, you know, one of those type of kids. And uh, really competitive, meant a lot to our football team. And, and uh, you know, he's a guy that I was not surprised at all. When somebody picked him up and then he made that team, that didn't shock me at all because I know, you know, Dennis Allen's a very good football coach and – and, uh, you know, Rich Olson, very good coordinator. Those guys know smart players and when they see him, and, and that's what Matt is. I guess when you're a walk-on from Scranton at Penn State, that this is, this is nothing for him right now. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, been, yeah. through, he's been through the wars already, and, um, and Terrell Pryor is playing very nicely right now, former uh, Big Ten quarterback as well. Chris Law, do you want to pick your coach's brain for your team? Yeah, I mean, weekend? I think anybody that's followed Penn State football for as many years as I have, I, I love the aggressiveness that we're seeing, you know, obviously going forward on, on fourth down like you do. Um, and where, where, do you, where do you get that? We just talked about Belichick, and, you know, we saw, we've seen him do that, the infamous one against the Colts. Um, you came up under George O'Leary. Where does that aggressive play calling come from? Well, I think it comes from the fact of, of uh, when we've gone back wherever I've been and we've studied uh, fourth down and the, the, the success rate of when it's, when it's gone well and when it hasn't gone, gone well is, is you have to have a good feel for the game. You have to have, to me, the proper field position. Uh, I don't think we've done as good a job with that this year. You know, I think there's been times where, where I should have kicked and I went for it and, and, or kicked a field goal, you know, and – and so I think we've got to do a better job of that this week. You know, when I worked for New England, we went for it in, in critical situations, and a lot of times it worked out, and uh, that's where I learned it. Got it. Yeah. I, I mean, this, this week against Michigan, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to take a knee. I wouldn't do that, <laughs> okay, because we, we, we need the win just as you do. But 
It is it is homecoming too. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Michigan is homecoming. Yeah. Rich too. took offense I, that we scheduled Penn State I mean, as our homecoming yeah, team yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah, I told him we're not slippery rock here, coach. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, Rich, believe me, I had nothing to do with scheduling. <laughs> 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 yeah, that at all probably that this year's schedule probably was already hammered out by the time you walked on campus. I, I already told it was. Believe me, it was. And I already told Hoke at the Big Ten meetings this summer. I said I had nothing. To do with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. One more, one more question for you, Coach. How, how big was was getting that that game in Ireland next year on the schedule? Since obviously we have under, under the bowl bands and and stuff like that. In terms of a, a recruiting tool, and both for the kids that did that did stick around. I thought I thought it was important, Chris, because uh, like you said, you know, we can't go to a bowl. So I felt like. When I got here, one of the things that was interesting to me was that people kind of plan their vacations, uh, Christmas vacation or New Year's vacation around these bowl games, you know. Sure. And, and so uh, the fans, you know. So, so I know it's not at that time of the year, but it is on Labor Day. We're playing Central Florida over in Ireland, and so maybe they can plan their vacation that way and get over there and watch us play. And I think it's great for our kids. Uh, it'll be a good, you know, experience for them. We'll go over there a little bit early and – uh, you know, see Dublin and, and some of the sites over there and, and then tr- play a very good Central Florida team. So, you, you know, without have, without a bowl game, I thought it was important to try to get a destination game. And, Coach, my last question for you here, in, in all seriousness, I mean, you are the face of Penn State football now, and you had nothing. Like, we were just talking about the schedule for this year. You had nothing to do with that. You had nothing to do with anything that happened at that school, the horrors that took place at that school and um, in, in the previous years. And yet, you know, you are still the face of it. How do you f- walk that fine line of giving credence to what people thought went down and how horrible it was and saying, you know what, it's a whole new watch here. I had nothing to do with that. Let's move forward when people still want to uh, live in the past and for good reason sometimes. How do you, how do you walk that, that line, Coach? Yeah, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I walk that line, Rich. You know, I think uh... – uh, one of the things that, that is very clear to me is that, number one, is that this is a fantastic university. I mean, I had never been here before until I was hired, and, and now having been here for almost two years, it's a place where the student body is great, great student body, a lot of spirit, great education available. I mean, football, you know, this is, this is a great football school, and, and so I think that's number one. Number two is I don't walk the fine line. I, I say, look, we've got to do our part when, when we are able to, to put an end to child abuse, it, it is like you said. It's it's a horror. It's it's just the absolute worst thing you could imagine. And so, uh, we try to do our part. You know, we we work with PCAR, which is Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape, and we do our part to 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 try to you know help them promote the fact that look, you know, this is a horrible deal, and we've got to put an end to it and do our part to do that. So, you know, I don't really walk the line. I I do know this. I think this is a special place. I really think that. Um, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs here as we go through the next couple of years. But I also think that this is a place where you can win uh, and win big. And so, you know, I think uh, and get a great education doing it. So I believe in Penn State, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. Good luck to you, even this Saturday, Coach. Even yeah. this. Even this. <laughs> yeah, right, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Brady. Brady, uh, yeah. he went and spoke to the Michigan team. Oh, I you know, know so. that. He, yeah. he, he, gave so him, I, he gave him the fire and brimstone. He gave him a Bo yeah. Schembechler special right there, in a way. Right. So I text him. I'm like, hey, are, you know, what are you doing, man? I mean, I know you went there, but Big Ten, you know, you're my butt. You know, 
He said, I would do anything for you. Do you and I said, yeah, right. Like, you're going to come speak to the Penn State team before we play Michigan. Yeah, like, you would do it. Don't, don't go too far now because I might take you up on that. Well, no, and, and what did he say? Did he say? No, he's not doing that. No, he's got a big game. I think they play New Orleans this week. So. Yes, they do. He's not worried about Penn State, Michigan, I don't think. No. Well, he'll, well no, he'll be tuned in on Saturday. Some, yeah, I mean, yeah. no matter how busy we, we, we are, and this goes yeah. for Penn Staters, too. You just talked about the, the rabid fan base. It's true. There. I it's mean, true. We're a long time for this. I'm flying back for the game, Coach. I'm on a red-eye uh, Wednesday night. I'll be in Happy Valley this weekend. You and a hundred eight other thousand. Nah, yeah. yeah. I'm serious. I'm serious, Coach. Like I, I've been fortunate to do what I do for a living for 17 years now, starting on Sports Center in '96 and now being 2013. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, but there, there, there's only one football team left that gets me emotionally distressed, and I get totally involved. It's Michigan football. I mean, right. I lose my head. And my wife looks right. at me like, what's happened to you? And, you know, uh, I mean, I'm down in my cuticles when we're going on to the last snap against Akron. <laughs> you know, I right. mean, that's for real. So, right. you know, I'll be I'll be tuned in on Saturday. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on. And I, you're right. I don't mean good luck Saturday. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take hey, coach. Really, I really appreciate you coming you on. It, and I look Thank forward to speaking with you down the line. That is Bill O'Brien, the reigning coach of the year at the collegiate level of Penn State football on the Rich Eisen podcast. There's your head coach, Bill O'Brien. Uh, I got to say, you know, I'm a little, little nervous on that one. Little, that's, that's pretty cool. Why, well, what about Michigan? No, nah, about, you know, having my coach on. Oh, yeah. Didn't want didn't to disappoint. Who's the Syracuse coach? Scott Schaefer. Yeah, we're not having him. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a deeper connection to the Syracuse football program. I, I'm much more of a Syracuse football fan. I love Donovan McNabb. I love Keith Bullock mm-hmm. and some NFL players from Syracuse. Marvin Harrison. But you're bigger than basketball. But I'm much bigger basketball. Well, it's a basketball oh, yeah, it's school. Syracuse, right, yeah. of course. No. With well, all due respect well, to Jim Brown in number 44. Well, what I'm saying, it used to be kind of a football school, and then Jim Beheim came in. Well, your guy, Greg Robinson, <laughs> became our head coach. I mean, what he's my done, guy. <laughs> he's not my guy. He's Rich Rod's guy. Now he's Mac Brown's guy. You addressed Bless it there. Him. He you was Mac Brown's guy before he came to Syracuse. Oh, you addressed it there. You, you never want to be the guy after the guy, and Joe was the guy, and then after the guy with that situation, and what he's done in two years. It's amazing. Penn State. It is remarkable. One, it's amazing. The but you can hear it. You could just hear in certain people's voices that they get it, they and, they know, it. And, they, and they know what they're doing. Yep. Even though he did say in in the conversation, you know, I'm, he's second guessing some of the decisions that he's made on the field. It's just that that's sort of on your yeah. sleeve honesty. Yep. Well, there was a fourth hear. down inside his own thirty five that he went for that was questionable. But uh, he's got a unique family situation. He's got a kid with uh, special needs and yep. he, a good a good dude. I'm, I'm hoping he stays on campus. Yeah. For a long so time. good. For, so there you go, Law. Good booking. You booked him. You got him. Got him in. Oh, and boy. you're going down this Saturday. <laughs> there will be some texts going let's, back and uh, forth. Let's now uh, – is Silver on the phone? Mike Silver is All on right. the phone. All right. Let's bring in NFL media insider Mike Silver. Good morning. Uh, go, good afternoon or whatever time it is, Mike Silver. How are you, bud? Rich, uh, Bill O'Brien's best career move ever was yelling at Tom Brady grandstanding on TV. I, I don't think a lot of – Grandstanding on TV. I don't think a lot TV. of people really knew a lot about Bill O'Brien, but, but – Good for him, uh, and he did walk into now, a tough situation. But it, the, here's the scuttlebutt of which you are always on top. <laughs> okay, is that is that the Steelers saw that exchange on the sideline, right? Between, and wanted Todd Haley, and what? Well, not wanted Todd Haley. Said that that's what Ben Roethlisberger needs. Well, is an offensive court. Brady seemed to be okay when people weren't yelling at him all those years, or at least were doing it behind closed doors, and. Uh, 
Todd Haley doesn't grandstand. He just yells. He just yells. He comes from the heart. But that is the. It, do you think there's a correlation? In all seriousness, that the Steelers saw what Bill O'Brien did with Brady and knowing what Roethlisberger's situation was in, in Pittsburgh, saying, we need that type of guy in his face. And, and that's why Todd Haley was brought to Pittsburgh. Well, I'm glad you asked because I just got assigned a Roethlisberger-related essay that uh, you and I will be working together on, on Thursday, hopefully. Oh, I didn't so know that. I have to think a lot about this, but here's what I think. Ben Roethlisberger, among, I, I've said he's the most underrated player of his generation, and he's obviously not that underrated, so I think he's great. And the... To me, the greatest quality, and it's underappreciated in the fantasy-obsessed world, is the keeping plays alive, the yeah. you know, toughing out plays and, and making something out of nothing. And that's obviously a, an admirable quality that can be put to good use. But I think the Steelers got to a point where they said, that's not really working as well in your 30s as it did in your 20s. You're, you know, you're taking a lot of shots. And, uh, you know, sort of like what Marshall Falk uh, learned as he got a little older. Uh, to me, he's a great example. You know, Marshall Falk on third and eight, if he needed to put it up in there and take three hits to get the first down in a key situation, he would do it. But he learned on first and second down that there are times you, you can – duck under or get out of bounds and fight another day and obviously his career went okay uh, with that philosophy so I think they felt that Haley could bring them an offensive scheme that would you know rely more on Ben's passing skills uh, which are you know prodigious and uh, ability to get the ball out and that yeah maybe in a key situation where you need that he could still do that but they would keep him out of harm's way a little bit and you know it has coincided unfortunately with <laughs> problems on the line uh, a running game issue uh, Mike Wallace not getting paid which is on them and Heath Miller's injury but uh, you know I, I think that was the the rationale Steelers are 0-4 based on uh, many reasons because of the litany of, of issues that are happening on offense and the defense is getting I guess longer in the tooth they're 0-4 coming off of a bye week at MetLife Stadium to take on the now 3-2 and two New York Jets wow. coming off of that Monday night Man. win in Atlanta that left Julio Jones Ugh. potentially done for the season, left the Falcons at 1-4, and four, and have the Jets three games better than the New York Giants, than their co-tenants, taking on an own 4 Steelers team. I mean, think about it. Nobody saw any of this coming. Rex Ryan is deserving of some apologies, and some of them right f- from here, the person who, who's speaking right now. Well, I'm referring to myself in this it is early, but third yeah, person. Um, oh, no, it is early, but, I mean, nobody saw this coming. And, 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 and Geno Smith is getting better. I mean, we did see in yeah. the first four games he did regress on the road. He had a great game, and that is a true story. He had a great yeah, game no, that was, that on was Monday legit. night. I mean, in Atlanta, they're going to call this game the Monday Night Massacre because now if Julio's injury is as feared, uh, you know, with Roddy already not himself, Tony Gonzalez having been coaxed back, but probably not not feeling 2014. Yeah, he's and, probably feeling right now, uh, Mike, like I could be taking my kid to school every yeah, day. Yeah, well, I think he feels a lot like Brett Favre felt in 2010 when you could have gone out with a near miss, almost got to the Super Bowl. But, hey, let's just go back and we'll, you know, we're so close, we'll get there the next year. Obviously, we know the NFL is not so forgiving that way. Uh, and... Yeah, um, for the Jets, I, I did write a column going into our, our Thursday night opener, 
and it was this. When Rex Ryan acts like, you know what, we have issues, but I'll just coach my way out of this, it's not just bravado, which, of which he has much. You know, he really is that good of a defensive strategist, especially. Like, he's such a good coach uh, that, in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, we have no real playmakers, and i got to throw this rookie in a quarterback, and, you know, we've, we're, we lost Revis, and we're not really on paper a team that has any business competing with these other teams, but I'll just scheme my way through, and we'll find a way. And so... I think, yeah, a a large part of this is Rex Ryan has managed not only to do that, but to sell that internally, and now they believe, and that's scary. And and this is a very, you know, this division, I know there's, you know, teams have decent records, but the Patriots are not uh, as in in any sort of dominant state. The Dolphins have flashed very well, but they clearly have issues similar to what the Falcons, I think, have, which is when you can't protect the quarterback, it's awfully tough. Yeah, I mean, that's my question. Is 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 Lewis? And then they're starting Thad Lewis this week against Cincinnati, which just took down uh, the Patriots in a manner that we were waiting for the Patriots to be taken down with yes. with 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 the, with the, uh, with the offensive Falcons, weapons, which the Falcons could not. Well, but that. that's the whole point of all of this. Okay, bringing this all together in one question. As you is, do. Thank you. Now, I, I know I know that the, the offensive line of the, the Falcons is questionable, to say the least. Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson may be the two best defensive tackles sitting next to each other in the NFL on the same line. That's a very bold statement, I know. But the way they played Monday night, they sure darn looked like it. I don't know if it's the Falcons line that's an issue as well that made them look like that. Matt Ryan now... Without Julio Jones, without Roddy White, you take a look at the weapons that, say, Geno Smith has, the weapons that, say, Tom Brady has at his disposal. Mm-hmm. They're both over 500. You take a look at some other teams with offensive weapons. Now, you could talk about beast mode all you want, but Doug Baldwin and Sidney Rice is not exactly scaring the rest of the league right now. And the, they have three starters out on their offensive line. Correct. And they have only one loss after what the Colts did. Why can't – is it fair to say, Matt Ryan, we're paying you $100 million. You, you can still – you're still just two games out of the wild card right now at 1-4. You can forget the, the division. I spent uh, 15 minutes on Monday night trying to figure out what the Saints' magic number is. <laughs> but you can it's pretty – one. Okay, right? But you're still just two games out of the playoffs at 1-4 and four because the next yeah. best team in, in, the, yeah. in, in, in the NFC that's not in first place is 3-2. and two. Right. So why can't Matt Ryan go ahead with Harry Douglas and whomever and Tony Gonzalez and Steven Jackson coming back? Can't you still say that? Well, in, in fairness to Matt Ryan, Rich, uh, he took them down and survived a yeah. fourth down where he might have, may or may not have That was a horrible advent- call, man. Advantageous call. Oh. But you know, he did throw a touchdown to put him up 28-27 with a minute to go. Um, he's done that a lot. Now, when we say Roddy not really being there, I want to tell Falcon fans, get used to this, unfortunately, because Julio, we imagine, will come back strong, but they're going to pay Julio. Uh, They're not going to pay Roddy and Julio, and they're going to choose Julio. So unless Roddy somehow wants to take hometown discount to a new level, I think, you know, as amazing as it would be to keep them both, we're looking at a future where they have to find compliments for Julio Jones other than Harry Douglas is a good number three receiver, but they're going to need a tight end 
and they're going to need uh, another guy to put there uh, out wide. So, yeah, that's what makes it, I think, especially harsh. They were loaded up for one more year with that special Mm. cast, with Tony and Roddy, and now you've got Roddy, a shell of himself, Julio gone, and that's going to make it very tough. But, yes, that's why these quarterbacks get $100 million deals, because you feel like they can be transcendent. I think, as you know, Rich, what also happens is they press, and that's you know somewhat admirable. The Ben Roethlisbergers and the Eli Mannings and on down the line think, well, we have deficiencies. I've got to be even greater, and I'm going to just find a way to, to persevere. And that can work, but it can also lead to maddening turnovers, and then you know that cycle starts. So... Uh, you know, it, it's a rough time to be a Falcon fan, I think, because not only are you looking at potentially a, a rough 2013, but you're going to look back and think, man, when we had that one play against the 49ers at home to get to the Super Bowl uh, in the 2012 championship game, that was our that was us at the height of our powers. Now you that- take you take a look you take a look right now that um, the Falcons because you, you always take a look at five new teams in the playoffs, meaning five teams that made the playoffs last year aren't making it this year. You got to look at the Falcons yeah. one, right? You look at the Falcons as one. The Texans potentially is another. Yep. Matt Schaub. I mean, there's nothing that we talked about it earlier on the show. In my mind, there's nothing Kubiak can do except hope that this guy just takes head removing from a, a particular orifice. Yeah, don't automatically put the Patriots in. It's early. Well, I'm. I don't know about that, man. I mean, they, they to me to me they still they still win that division because of who's yeah, at quarterback. Because I mean, who's because of who's I, at quarterback. Gronkowski's coming back this week. He's only going to get stronger. I don't know. We'll we'll pick some well, games. He's only going to get stronger unless he gets hurt. Uh, that's true. I think he's gonna. He's only gonna get stronger. I'm gonna I take that so. point a point of view. Another team though that, that uh, hey, can, want want to bet on whether Danny Amendola plays four games in November though? No way. I'll take the under on that one right now, brother. Bob I'll take Sanders, that right now. Baby. You you were there. I know you called him one. the Bob Sanders of offense on on the way to uh, on the way to uh, Gillette. That's for, just mean for our Thursday night football. You, you were we, we were in that van. Bob Sanders was the NF, was the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And Danny Abadola is just a guy who sure. caught a bunch of passes. So it might have been mean to Bob. Well, well, a compliment. To Demond, Demond Sanders is another to one you got to take a look at. Obviously, is Minnesota. At one and three, sure. So, Josh Freeman's not starting this week, but that's it, right? I mean, they're going to install him. He's going to go in the following week, right? I mean, they, they didn't get him just uh, I, to I would. just to coach him up. Yeah, I mean, right? I, and, I would. Well, I, well they're paying, aren't they, they aren't they also paying him three million dollars? Well, I would think they lied to him. It's a prorated three million, so it's two million. But okay. I uh, I would think if he doesn't get become the guy they lied to him because of, uh, my understanding is that Josh Freeman was sitting there going, yeah, Buffalo wants me, but do I really want to hand the reins back to E.J. Manuel after six weeks, whereas Oakland will let me be the guy. So I, I just doubt that he would have gone from, well, I could be the guy in Oakland or I could have six weeks in Buffalo, but I think I'll just go to Minnesota and be behind Matt Castle and Christian Ponder. I'm pretty sure they would have told him before he made that decision yeah, you're coming here to be the guy. So uh, it's probably better for Josh not to start week one, uh, you know, like learn the terminology. And, you know, I, I wondered in 32 questions this week if it's too late to get him in the team photo in Minnesota. I don't know what, what the plan is. <laughs> well played, sir. That means that his first game is going to be week seven, Monday night football, Minnesota at the Giants. Ooh. 
I wish it were. I just wish it were a Thursday, but I'll probably watch. Well, but, well, hey, we we do get them on a Thursday. Yeah, we do. We get you them. Know we, we, get? we get. We get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm really anxious to see what that situation is going to be like. And we also have Warren Sapp, I believe, in the house, which could create for some awkwardness if he and Greg Schiano are within well, proximity. He called out Schiano just uh, recently. I mean, he just uh, yeah. It, well, and, and you know what? As as he should. Uh, it's you know, Greg Schiano knows. Uh, he's a smart guy. He knows as much as anybody that when you come in with a big stick and it's and as as Sap said, it's my way or the highway, and your team's not winning, then it's not going to be milk and honey. And uh, you know, Warren Sap, like everybody that I work with now, uh, is really really good at what he does and and has a lot of uh, you know has a strong sense of self. And and I love that he gives informed uh, opinions on the situation. Yeah, and Sapp's going to be honored. Um, at the, and he basically said, if I'm down in Tampa, I'm, I'm questioning this whole thing because it's a mafia style, is what he said. Uh, I love the hyperbole. Also, I... I wonder if they'll try to rescind the honor on our, during our Thursday game. I'm not sure. The I don't think they will. I mean, he is still Warren Sapp, and they have a ring. Uh, many, many, many reasons why, uh, but he, he's a large reason. He, because also, of it. he also is giving me lessons on tying my tie. So don't mess me, with him. Don't, the, well, as you know, Warren, is a, he's, a, he's a jewel of our program. In many ways, <laughs> uh, what, what, as opposed to me, who might be the Jew of our program. Well, that that makes two of us. Yeah, we're we're one fifth to a minion in that regard. Hey, uh, how good are the Colts in your mind? Marshall's Jewish too. He's, he's honorary. <laughs> he's honorary. Um, how good are the Colts? I think they're good. Um, you know, what, as you, as you pointed out, you know, I would direct you back to your Russell Wilson comment a little bit ago. It's very similar when you have a guy that good. Young but very very good, um, you know you can overcome a lot of bumps. And for the Seahawks, it's having those linemen out. For the Colts, it's having those running backs out. Although they just traded for a guy who you and I like to point out has not increased his per carry average much yet, but mm-hmm. maybe Trent Richardson will. Um, but you know they they battle, they find a way. I was really worried about them. I thought they'd be one of the teams that didn't make it back for sure when they almost lost to the Raiders in week one and then went out and lost in week two. And I was thinking, yeah, it's the last year was a, a nice story with Arians taking over and Pagano coming back and all that. But, uh, you know, we it was probably a little premature. But I think Ryan Grigson has gotten himself a lot of ball players. I think Chuck Pagano, in addition to being a very inspirational human being that we all you know, that makes us all very choked up when we think about is also a pretty darn good young, you know, young in terms of career coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, Andrew Luck is phenomenal, and uh, they've got some ball players. So, you know, Dwayne Allen would have been a really important player for them. And and honestly, knowing Ryan Grigson, one of the reasons he made that trade, and, and he would have made a trade had it not been for Richardson, he had a plan B or a plan C, wouldn't have been as as eye-catching, but he was going to make a trade. And one of the reasons was just psychologically to kick his team out of the doldrums. You know, they had lost Dwayne Allen, they had lost Vic Ballard, they all of a sudden had this injury epidemic and had that, that rough first couple of games. And I think he wanted to get the locker room back, like, you know, hey, fired up a little bit and, and focused. So um, they're very good. I, I think we'll look back on them going into San Francisco and doing what they did to the 49ers as a very, very 
significant win because I, I do think the 49ers will fight their way through this rough patch and be one of the better teams in football. Well, right now the uh, they the old Stanford guys helped each other out in week number five. Uh, why you got to torture me like I'm that? I'm sorry, Cal Bear, cool. but um, I haven't even made any Syracuse comments. I didn't say anything about Jerry Sandusky, and you got to go there. <laughs> wow, long silver sitting here almost got through the entire program. Innocent bystander without without that, that bus thrown out there and um the s word well and the, and the colts are one game up on the titans and fitz magic who now heads to seattle this week and and the texans are two games back they yeah, do the play texans, the rams this week texans are uh texans are not uh anything resembling that team that i thought they were when they went 11 and one and I really i thought they were going into last season they're they're not that team and of course the, you know, you, you said it best. I hate to reveal too many company secrets, but as we were watching the game two weeks ago in that unbelievable setting uh, where we have all the games on television and you sit in the throne-like chair and control the remote, and when the satellite works, it's no, don't. Prob- it's probably <laughs> the best possible place we'll get it right on Earth. Uh, but, you know, Matt Schaub's body language and face said as they were late in that game, uh, I, you know, I can't remember your exact words. I think but, I said it looks like he's swallowing his own vomit. Yeah, and that's pretty much not only what he looked like, but how he proceeded to play, and he, and he is playing like that, and as you know, that bu- that builds on itself, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a tough time, I think, to be a Texans fan, because your team may, in fact, have plateaued, and it's nice that they finally made the playoffs and all that, but, you know, when they laid that egg in Foxborough last December on national TV, that was a spectacular laying of an egg. Well, especially and, when they showed up in the Letterman jackets. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you, we always look for those things to cling to. I'll never forget the, uh, you know, the, I covered the 94 championship game right after I got to SI, and it was Chargers at Steelers, and the Steelers were the top seed, and everybody had coronated them as the, the AFC's uh, Super Bowl entrant, and they proceeded to do two things which will live forever in lore, which is they recorded a Super Bowl rap video. Uh, this is leading into the championship game, so that's a, co- a collector's item. Uh, probably got sent to Somalia or whatever with, t- with the T-shirts. And, uh, and then Eric Green, one of my favorites, their talented and fun-loving tight end, had a party on the Friday night that shall live in infamy. And as Leon Searcy, uh, after leaving Pittsburgh to go to Miami, their they're very uh, excellent tackle, put it to me, I love Eric Green. He's a great man. But the sin that went down in that place, I, I can't even remember how he finished it, but I just remember he used the word sin. And that was two nights before the game. And then, of course, that was the game where junior, young Junior Seau made about seven tackles on the first drive, although the Steelers did score. Uh, we had Tim McIver falling down as Tony Martin went in with a late touchdown. Alfred Papunu unveiled the pineapple TD celebration. That's right. And finally, it came down to Neil O'Donnell with one play, fourth and goal, throwing to Barry Foster in the back of the end zone. And I think this is my memory of it. O'Donnell went back to pass. He stopped. He pointed his finger in the back of the end zone at Foster. He said, Barry Foster, I'm going to throw this ball to you right now. <laughs> then he threw the ball. And a guy named Dennis Gibson went over his back, tipped it away. The Chargers won. And still, I would say, the most fun locker room I've ever 
been in. Uh, just the the happiness of the these underdogs who really, you know, every team says they nobody gave us a chance and every you know everyone overlooked us, but you know simultaneously vindicated, but just thrilled. Yeah. To have won the AFC and 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 they get stomped. Well, by the Steelers, the Steelers, the Steelers. Hey, hey, Mike, Mike. The, the, they played the the ninety four nine. I know, and that was the end of it. And uh, but the Steelers learned that day you don't sleep on Stan Humphreys. <laughs> you just don't. And I think I think it was that they didn't sleep on Friday night. Was I know? And I think you 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 left out of that story is that Neil O'Donnell, in the midst of pointing at Barry Foster. And throwing it. He did, in fact, send a telegram. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it was 1994. He did, he did send a maybe telegram. It was, yeah, maybe it was some sort of like, fax. Maybe it could have been a fax. I don't know. He could have hit him. He could have hit him with a. He could have paged him. He could have hit, a, hit his pager. He, um, by the way, Neil, uh, yeah, Neil reprised that skill in the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, no. Don't remind Rod Woodson. Um, let's uh, let's wrap this show up by picking some games. You pick games on the weekly Pick'em uh, fantasy sites yeah, so on right, NFL.com. So That's all right. Well, these 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 are for this is for us. Mike, you, if it makes you feel any better, we haven't either. We okay. do this. You, okay. yeah, first draft, we do it live. Correct. You are on you are on the NFL uh, total access page. Yes, I am. And um, which we should get that move. We should get him over. Our... No, he's on it. It's whatever. Listen, he's new to the program. And I'll, t- he, I'll tell you what, the people who track these things. Say that I was like the best guy two years ago, and the last year one of the top guys of all, you know, in in for any entity. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, like if you look at over the last two years, I'm either the top guy or very close, and. All that does is set me up for a fall this year. So whatever I pick, if you're listening as a fan, pick the opposite, and it will go well. Well, uh, Mike Smith, as uh, as we were talking, oh, this dates it. People will be listening to this podcast later in the week when the Julio Jones news will definitely be definitive, saying uh, as we're talking, he's at a podium saying that the uh, first opinion is not encouraging. And that, yeah, well, and I, that, I, I have communicated with Thomas Dimitrov, and believe me, there's not a whole lot of uh, – silver lining yeah, going there, here, but you never know. There's going to be a test in Charlotte on Wednesday, wow. and then we'll find out for sure. I went 9-5 and five last week. Both Chris's went 8-6, and six, so that's, a a, that's an extra game for me. Um, let's pick some. Let's pick five games this yeah, week, Yeah, I got Chris. six good ones. Six good ones, so let's want, choose them. Choose them. Here we go. I think we got to start off, if you guys are okay with it, because I know you're at the game broadcasting it, but we got to start off with the, the Thursday night football game. Did the Giants really go to 0-6? By the way, Rich, could you tell that I had picked the Titans based on my Ryan Patrick demeanor? I know. The game. I know. You were all in. You I were, picked the Titans too. You were all. You were all. I'm in. a Shrifle. You were all into Fitzmagic. Fitzmagic. My, my whole theory is that Fitzmagic. Fitzmagic. His first couple of weeks is always awesome, and then you <laughs> right. know, it well, always Fitz, reverts Fitz, back. Fitzmagic is going to. That's he, how he got he, paid. Fitzmagic Fitz is turning into a pumpkin in Seattle. He had Seattle four yards week, in the third that. quarter passing. Yeah, I'm picking the home team. I'm picking the Bears. Me too. Me I don't too. Like charity and picking the Giants to rise up and win that game would be. Giving charity to my opponent. 0-6 New York Giants. I think I'm so. taking the Bears, too. Okay, that's a okay, clean, clean sweep. sweep. So that was just the one, because I didn't think you guys would think they would yeah, Let's go, go with six. this one. I've got one for you. The right. Eagles at the Buccaneers. The Bucks have, the, the Buccaneers are 0-4, but we and all know. Due. Well, hold on a minute. We all know those four losses have been by single digits. Some of them have been at the last second. And Mike Glennon has now been coached up by Greg Schiano, who went third person uh, with the season ticket holders during the bye week, saying that the that the the reason why they were uh, that the dire straits in Tampa Bay is that the the the, the team uh, called for Schiano essentially is what he said. And so here we go. It's Mike <laughs> Glennon with a with an extra week of being coached up. Philadelphia has 
their backup as well. It's Nick Foles, everybody. Nick right. Foles. Was, was that Tampa where Nick Foles had that last second throw? Was that Jacksonville? Where was that last year? Uh, Charlotte? It, I forget. somewhere down in the Well, south. long story short, it's the it Eagles and the Buccaneers. What, who do you have? Wow. Well, the Buccaneers are due. They have lost a bunch of close games. And the Eagles uh, have a really lousy defense. I'm not sure how I feel about Nick Foles. Um, and I kind of want to pick the Bucks because you're getting home team. I don't know what the spread is, but you're getting home team and you're getting a team that's due. What was that word? We didn't hear that. What was that? Yeah. We, we blocked word, out. That, we blocked confusing. out with that word. We didn't you're know. Getting, I, I want to pick the Bucks, but, you know, when I close my eyes and I see – Chip Kelly, and then I see Greg Schiano. I just don't know that I can pick Greg Schiano, and I kind of want them to, uh, to prove apart. it to me before I pick them. So I'm going to pick the Eagles. I am too. Yeah, I think Nick Foles might even be better than Mike Vick. So. I do not. That's bluff. <laughs> yeah, that's bluff. Well, certainly well. not. No, certainly not in this offense. He doesn't bring the extra dimension of running from the quarterback position. He did. He did a nice one to uh, the tight end there. But he can. He can run the offense. That's for sure. He's no Fitz Magic. He is no Fitz Magic. You're correct. <laughs> I got the Eagles there as well. Yeah, me so too. it's a clean sweep. Clean sweep. Two clean okay. sweeps. All right, game three. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers at 0 4, taking on the 3 and 2 New York Jets. Sunday, 1 o'clock on CBS. I'll take, the I'm, game? It's in, in MetLife. I'm it's, taking the Jets in this one. I'm taking the Jets in this one 100%. The Steelers just are, 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 are the team that just makes the mistake that they cannot overcome, and the Jets have not been that team at home yet this year. Even though, well, that's not true. They had 18 penalties against the Bills. I just think uh, I, I, I really like what I've seen out of the Jets so far. Short week, uh, unreasonable sense of self or unwarranted sense of self, and Ben Roethlisberger. I'm going Steelers in the upset. Okay. Yeah, I'm with Mike. Okay. Long. Yeah, coming off the bye week, I'm going with the Steelers. I'm loving it. I'm lone wolfing. All right, let's wrap this up quickly. This has gone on long enough. I- I'm lone wolfing there. Packers at Ravens. Who do you have? That is a very tough one. Um, Wow. Uh, I'm going to go with the Packers. Uh, Me too. I feel as though Aaron Rodgers will put up enough Ravens do not have the offensive firepower to to go point for point with this. Yeah, that's my hope. But, you know, I think they're they're about even, these two teams, and uh, both capable of a lot better. But didn't you think the Pack was going to score a lot of points this week and they only put up 22? I think I'm going to go Ravens. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I would. I can't be mad at anyone who takes the Ravens. I think it's a pretty even game. All right, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Pack, too. i got to take the Pack. Okay, there. clean split. Anybody think the Patriots are beating the Saints? Where's the game? In New England. 4-1 against 5-0. I think the Patriots are beating the Saints. I'm raising my hand. I think wow. John comes back. I think that that's a very tough place to win. And and the, I just and the picked Saints. the Bears to beat the Saints, cause, and I felt pretty good about that. So and then I watched I. the game, and I was like, "No, it, you know." I also asked in thirty-two questions. I said, "Who uh, was more? Who who came out with more pent-up brilliance after exile? Tupac after his nineteen ninety-five nice. incarceration, <laughs> or Sean Payton?" after his suspension and it's a valid question especially i like to link those two because after the great coachella performance where good lord hologram who wins the game (laughs) who wins the game silver just that the saints should rock the sean payton hologram on the sidelines and when i told sean that idea he definitely was intrigued but had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so I had to send him the so who wins YouTube, the game? YouTube video. Who, I'm going with the Saints. 
Okay. I'm also going I'm Saints. going Patriots. Oh, wow, he's going against his Patriots. I'm going Patriots. Well, well, unlike too. you, Homer, I'm a realist. Last question. <laughs> Last question as we wrap this show up. Redskins, uh, Cowboys. Game is? In Dallas. Oh, Cowboys in a in a emphatic show of uh, be- mediocrity. They are going 8-8. Eight and eight, So what are they now, 2-3? and three? Yes. They're going 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, if it was in Washington, I would take the Redskins. By the way, they're I'm going 8-8 eight and, eight and they're going to the playoffs. Law? I got to go to the Cowboys, too. I'm going Lone Wolf. I say RG3 wow. comes back looking On like the, the RG3. He's coming off a bye. He's going to look like the RG3, the RG3 of old. He's the RG3 of old. He's the RG3 of old. And the Cowboys are going to be feeling it. They they are feeling it. I, 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 like, uh, wow. I like RG3 on the road. Uh, Mike Silver, thanks. I will see you in Chicago. That's Mike Silver out. Chris Law, great show. Thank you. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. I'm glad the coach got on. Thank you to Jeff Nelson and Christine Law from the Penn State Athletic Department. Attaboy. Uh, attaboy. Do you got a, uh, an international shout-out? Well, we're pressed for time. I don't have time. No, go for it. it. Just look it up. Okay. Uh, at Chris Law. Yes. Thank you. Enjoy that. Uh, How stinking drunk are you going to get at this game? <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm going to be tailgating at Beaver Stadium in the Bryce Jordan Center parking lot area. Come, uh, come find I'll, you. I'll tweet my location. Come out. Enjoy a beer with me. Look at you. Yeah. I'm meeting up, I think, with John Hine, who's a Michigan grad, but his okay. daughter goes to Penn State. All right. Very good. Wow. Do you got it? You got I, it? I do. At, uh, at Dan Ellett 14. It's my 26th birthday on Monday, and he wants a shout-out. He's a Giants fan. He has nothing else going for him. <laughs> <laughs> At Chris Brockman, good thanks, to see you. Good thanks to, see you, uh, to Stacey Garcia getting John Elway on the yes. program, as always. And thanks uh, also to Mike Silver. I'm At Rich Eisen for At The Eisen Podcast. Peace out. Hello, me, Cookie Monster. Yeah, me always listen to the Rich Eisen Podcast. It's me favorite podcast. Yeah, me listen on NFL.com. Oh, and it's also on iTunes, just in case you not know that. Oh, me going to go listen right now. And for all of us here at the Medill School of Journalism, thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. Stay listening, dear friends. <laughs>